The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Hello, Elaine. Hey there. How you doing? I'm good. Great to see you again. It's been, I think, probably two years, so we have a lot to catch up on. We do. We do. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah, it's great to have you. I'll just pause for the ad break and then we'll get started. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. We talk a lot about automation on this show, and today we're going to speak with someone who's seen it firsthand. Elaine Kwan is co-founder and partner at Quantify. And before that, she was a vendor manager at Amazon and saw its white-collar automation program called Hands Off the Wheel, Get Off the Ground, and Go Operational. She joins us today to talk about her experiences and the implications automation might have on work and our global economy. Elaine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Alex. Thank you for coming on. We spoke uh, in Seattle Back when things were in person, uh, as I was trying to research what Hands Off the Wheel was all about uh, for my book, Always Day One, uh, and the conversation just stuck with me and I've thought about it, you know, uh, over and over as time goes on. So I thought, well, we, we talk theoretically about this stuff often on the show. Let's talk about how it actually works from a practical standpoint. So I'm really stoked to have this conversation. Sounds good. And I would say the in- the implications that that has had uh, even since 2016, which is when a lot of this got started, has been tremendous, uh, even to this day. You know, even yeah. conversations I'm having with founders of companies even this week. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, that's that's wild. Okay, yeah, and I, I'm very curious So I, I, about how that's gone. So let's go back to the beginning quickly. You joined Amazon in 2014 as a vendor manager. So a vendor manager is in Amazon's retail organization, what does a vendor manager do inside Amazon? And in particular, what was the job description in 2014 before all the automation came in? Oh, boy. Uh, I don't Let's go down exact, memory lane. Yeah, I know. I, I don't remember the exact date, but what I, I can recall is that the role was a transition between what a traditional buying role entailed as well as what Amazon's demands entailed. And so, you know... In, in theory, the vendor manager is supposed to be the buyer. Uh, and there was a little bit of buying involved, especially within the fashion realm, which is where I was working. But the conflict of the role itself came in, into being in the fact that at the heart of it, we weren't actually doing much buying. Now, if you're uh, familiar with retail... Uh, and buying, by buying, mm-hmm. by buying, sorry, you're going about to explain, buying yeah. means... You, you are on the phone with brands like, in your case, Gucci and Versace, and I'm going to spitball here, potentially saying, you know, we need this many uh, handbags in these fulfillment centers at this price. Is that? And the fulfillment center is obviously the warehouse that all this stuff gets stored and then shipped out to people once we hit buy. Um, so is that broadly the description of the job? Yes. And I would say it even goes further, which is, you know, if you're talking to a Macy's buyer, a Nordstrom buyer, uh, you're going down skew by skew, colorway by colorway, line by line as to exactly what should be in your stores. And that's really where this position 
harkens from. Um, and I think where, you know, doing so at Amazon is really different or was really different back then is that we still had that spirit. A lot of, a lot of my peers came from that exact background and that's what they were used to. But in reality, you know, a lot of Amazon's buying spirit is very much about the everything store, which is buy one and see if it sticks, buy one of everything. See if mm. it sticks. And when you apply that to a role that had originated from this idea of curation, of taste, of being able to predict what future trends can and should be, you're at a, you're at an impasse. And so I, I think that the vendor manager role, it was a great learning experience. Uh, I really, really loved it. Uh, but it was really different than I think what perhaps others from the outside looking in might think it right. is. Right. Right. Because if you're at Macy's, you're, you're, and you're a buyer, right? or you're managing vendors, right? The type of brands that come in, the Versace's and the Gucci's, you're like, okay, I think this bag is going to be in style. I have limited shelf space. I'm going to buy these. And that's your job. At Amazon, you're dealing with these uh, 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 fulfillment centers that can fit an entire NFL's worth of football games on the land that's in there. The limitless uh, the shelf. Sundays. Yeah, the Sundays. So, so you're shelf, just exactly. out there buying like crazy. And, and, uh, or... Some, and then, some, and then yeah, seeing some, what the yeah. internet demands when they are on mm -hmm, that site. Mm -hmm. And that's the first party retail, right? So exactly. Amazon just stocks products in these warehouses and then people go ahead and hit buy on their computer and then they get shipped out. Yes. I think the, the going idea, the going thought process back then was that if we, you know, we're Amazon and at the time we don't really care about being profitable. We just want to be the best e-commerce site in the world. So the customer will know what they want. So how about we just have everything and they'll tell us what should sell. That was the going thought process behind it. Now, where things changed and where we are today, um, I would say really started in 2016, a couple years later, where Amazon realized that they had to start valuing profitability a lot more than they had before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can't hold it against them. Every company must, you know, no, no, let me rephrase that. No company can disregard profitability forever. Right. And I think Amazon had the privilege of doing that for as long as it did. Um, but a lot of things started changing and coming down the pipe in, uh, in 2016, where you start realizing, right. okay, you know, there's a lot of inventory sitting at these warehouses because we uh. decided to buy one of everything. A lot of it isn't going anywhere. Yeah, what do and, we start doing this, about that? Yeah, and so this sort of stems with Jeff Bezos telling investors, if you're going to buy Amazon, you're in it for the long haul. We're not going to you know, generate profits right away. We're investing. Uh, and that's why Amazon's multiple, right, when you look at profit and, and its stock prices and, and still in the stratosphere. It's wild. Uh, so let, let's go back to the practical side of these things. So we're, we're going to get to the automation, but, um, you know, while you're doing the job, how are you placing the orders? Are you like in a software tool where you're like, you know, basically, are you in Excel? Are you in an Amazon software tool where you're like locking the orders and making forecasts? And are you on the phone with these brands and saying, okay, this is how we want to do it? So like, what does this job look like to you from a practical standpoint when you're doing mm -hmm. the buying? Yeah. So a little bit of, of everything you just said, um, mm -hmm. you know, every company is different. You know, we, I learned that back then working with all these brands and still very much is true today, uh, even with the proliferation of so many more D2C brands all over the Internet. 
but every single brand is different. And so, you know, you spend some time working with your portfolio of brands, understanding what they're trying to, what their goals are, and then ultimately how Amazon can fit into that. And uh, it's a little bit of push and pull. Now, for a lot of brands, it'll often be a push from my side, meaning, hey, I really want you to grow, you know, this much. And in order to do that, these are all the things that we have to do or want to do. Um, and, and again, oh, so what would those things be? Uh, I mean, price negotiation lot- or. Sometimes price negotiations, sometimes mm-hmm. uh, preparing for peak seasons in advance and being trying to be strategic about it. Sometimes it's a matter of even just, you know, inventory logistics excellence, right? Understanding that, hey, we're opening up a new fulfillment center in this region of the country. Uh, we want to make sure that your products are there. Let's make certain moves supply chain wise. So it, it involved every aspect of what it means to thrive within the e-commerce space today. But I think where it got difficult is that, again, as Amazon realized, we got we have to keep more of the money that we're actually making here, um, you know, a lot of things started to change, meaning even that role, like the vendor manager's role or what that team's directives were, um, they started, you know, one of their new goals where we have to become more profitable. Our category of products has to become more profitable. Our transactions, every single one is now being measured, you know, with a new profitability standpoint. And so that's also where, you know, when I'm sitting in a, you know, in a, in a meeting with a brand, it's a lot easier to talk when all of us are on the same, you know, page trying to grow top line revenue. Everybody generally wants that. It's a very different conversation when I'm sitting there and saying, I need you to give me a better price. I need you to give mm. me X dollars in funding, or I need you to, you know, make a big change in your processes in order to accommodate what I'm trying to do here. So it, it, it starts changing a lot of discussion. And I think that's where, you know, that's where we are today, which is that mm-hmm. there is very little trust in this environment, especially when, you know, I mean, you're talking about even multinational, uh, publicly traded brands that you know everyone knows about even they struggle when it comes to negotiating with amazon because um frankly they they don't like to compromise (laughs) yeah and and as you're doing this they're collecting the data right they're they're collecting data on what what the company bought what it was priced at what it sold at and uh what demand was for what products and all that stuff uh, and then all of a sudden, I think, you know, uh, probably around the time that you started, there are some folks on the machine learning side inside Amazon that say, hey, what if we, you know, actually turn this over to automation to make sure that we can do this, you know, as efficiently as possible with the best margins. They start calling it Project Yoda from what I heard. Like some people are like, instead of us doing this uh, with as humans, why don't we use the force? And the force was machine learning. That's what happens when you put a bunch of computer nerds in charge of this stuff. It always comes back to Star Wars. Um, and eventually it starts. So they they start the machines, I imagine, start to get good enough where the forecasting and the prices that they want, the negotiation range uh, becomes good enough where they think they can start to turn some of it over to that machine learning stuff. So. I, now, now let's go back, like to your from your perspective on the ground. Um, can I can I can I make a quick comment about what you yeah, just said, though? Yeah. So that's the funny thing. Even when I was an employee there, I had very similar thoughts to what you just said. Really? But, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the reality is, 
and this isn't just applicable to Amazon, but many other companies, many other industries as well, is that, you know, a lot of automation and even to to I would say to a degree machine learning in many of these pieces of technology is still incredibly it's not ready to operate on mm-hmm. its own or mm-hmm. in at a mass scale. And that right. that definitely goes uh, for this situation that we're talking about when it comes to Amazon. Yeah. So let's hear the story about how this stuff starts to become operational and sort of the pros and cons of it. Um, so when I, I, I'd love to hear like from your perspective at the beginning, um, when did you start to hear that some automation might come into that process that you had in terms of buying and ordering from these brands? Hmm. For those interested, I remember first hearing the phrase hands off the wheel. You know, I think it was late 2015, early 2016. And it was interesting because it was it was discussed very laissez-faire, very nonchalantly as if, you know, (laughs) don't worry about these machines. Exactly. It's like, you know, like (laughs) this is just just something that's happening. It's going to change, but it's no big deal. But I feel like if if anyone is taking a critical look at the situation, you can see the writing on the wall, which is stuff's changing. The priorities that we had are changing. What does this mean for the work that we used to do in the, in a particular way? So, you know, uh, the very first thing that they automated were promotions, um, the creation, management, and execution of things like discounts, you know, pricing changes, um, coupons, that sort of thing. And, um, it felt pretty innocuous. You know, I think most people were like, okay, you know, I, this is just a new tech change, no big deal. But at least for me, I kind of looked at it and I'm like, all right, this may not seem like a big deal to some, but for me, I kind of saw that as, okay, they're, they're trying to make some of what people are doing every day uh, no longer part of their job. So what's what's next? Because this is not just the this is just a tip of the iceberg, right? And mm-hmm. so I remember seeing that. I remember having conversations with brands, introducing them to the tool. And one caveat I think we should make is that when we talk about automation at Amazon, we're not talking about automating something for everyone, for everybody. We're talking about automation so that Amazon no longer has the responsibility of having to do a certain thing. <laughs> Yeah, so the brands on the other end might still have to do the inputs, but Amazon would basically take the human activity exactly. out. Exactly. They no longer have to staff the person, the people, the team, the overhead in order to accommodate what was happening manually before. Um, and in fact, what ended up happening and is still the case to this day is that they 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 pushed a lot of that work onto brands, manufacturers, and sellers uh, with very little actually no forewarning, mm-hmm. um, very little training, very little communication. They just kind of woke up one day if they logged into their Amazon portal and they realized, oh, what's this new thing? You're telling <laughs> me that all, and, and, and it was especially a bit of a rude awakening for you know, brands that let's say you had already committed a significant sum of money to Amazon and you, let's say you've already paid a certain amount of money to Amazon for the year saying, Hey, I want to work with you closely and fund our partnership so that we can have a really big, beautiful campaign during Mother's Day or a huge promotion during holiday this year. Now, all of a sudden, you have to do that work yourself. You're not being given much help at all. And in many cases, you may have to pay for that promotion yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I, it was a bit of a rude awakening, I think, to say the least. 
Right. And so just like taking it back to a practical level. So these brands would be working with you as a vendor manager. And that was your job, right? Was basically like, we'll promote you on the site this day and we want X amount of inventory. And then, you know, somebody who's on the other, I'll just use a a brand. Let's not, I know it's not necessarily the one, but I'm just going to use it as an example. Somebody who's on the other line at Gucci, you know, who's been speaking with you now, all of a sudden, you know, the whole idea of when they're going to get promoted on the site, how much uh, inventory Amazon needs and what fulfillment centers and at what price and, you know, even the negotiation in terms of price in some areas ends up turning from human to a portal that they would mm-hmm. log into mm-hmm. because the machine learning is doing this on the back end. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, I, I would say so. And and certain things came more gradually than others, but the long story the long story short is essentially that that's exactly right. Uh, even to this day, you know, we have a great partnership with Amazon, you know, my company that is, and mm-hmm. uh, we talk to them all the time. But you know, they they're very they're very open and honest about their limitations as as people now in a way that I think we felt un- a bit uncomfortable to do so back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now they're just very transparent. They're like. I have no control over that. I have no influence over this. I have no way of of helping you with this. And it sometimes it baffles, you know, co- companies on the other side because they're like, "Wait a second, you're you're actually in charge of this thing, of whatever this thing is that we're discussing. What do you mean you can't change it? What do you mean you can't make an exception for a mistake that's that's actually wrong?" And that's mm-hmm. that's that's the conversation I'm having a lot very often unfortunately yeah Yeah, because overall it seems to me that they said okay our algorithms are going to do the best possible job for the least possible overhead figuring out how to maximize profits as you mentioned and get the right stuff into the fulfillment centers at the right time at the right price yeah yeah Uh, well sorry go ahead Oh no, you you hit up on the I I, I love <laughs> that you brought up the ordering side because yeah. that is that's probably the biggest bane of everyone's existence when it comes to some of the automations uh, that's happened that's happened. Right. So you would send like a purchase order back in the day for a certain amount of inventory and now what does it just show up in people's inboxes? So they always showed up in people's inboxes. Yeah, right. Uh, but, but there was a person but, who would send it. But the, there was there was usually many people who touched <laughs> it before. You know, usually uh-huh. it would involve me, you know, as someone from the vendor manager team, it would involve the in-stock management team whose entire job was to create, manage, watch and uh and and you know organize all the POs that are happening at any second and so um there used to actually be a set of people that you could talk to if you said hey you know this new thing is happening a new trend that we're watching in the market we want to make sure that we buy enough of x y and z product for this upcoming season you could actually do that but not anymore not once hands off the wheel really got implemented and not not once it hit inventory and ordering algorithms so everything suddenly became no we 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 can't touch it anymore our algorithm is either going to order it or it's not uh we can only hope to try to influence it and hope that what we kind of like the poking and prodding will influence uh the animal to behave in a certain way uh but we actually have no way of guaranteeing whether certain changes will happen okay after the break i want to speak with you about really the human side of this, how you and your colleagues reacted and you know what Amazon did to all the people whose work it automated. So uh, folks, hang on for just a moment. We'll go to break and we'll be back right after this. 
The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. And we're back here for the second half of the Big Technology Podcast with Aileen Kwan, former vendor manager at Amazon who watched the automation program Hands Off the Wheel which is, I talked about Project Yoda. It eventually turns into hands off the wheel where the vendor managers literally took their hands off the wheel and let the machine learning do the work. And she is now co-founder and partner at Quantified, uh, which is a company up in Seattle, which I'm sure we're going to hear a little bit more about in the second half here. Um, So let's go back to your reaction when you start to see some of this stuff go down. You know, I I know that Amazon employees are all pretty close to each other. what happened at like at happy hour or dinner or, you know, just kind of hanging out in the office when you and your colleagues start to see some of the stuff that you were doing end up being turned over to machines? Were you all like, was there like a moment of realization where it was like, oh, uh, the machine learning is in charge anymore. And it's kind of, oh, it's our hands off of the wheel. There was mixed reactions. I think some folks, um, were righteously, you know, frustrated, annoyed, angry, that carefully laid out, thoughtfully laid out plans were suddenly out of their hands. Um, Some of them, I think, including myself, started realizing, okay, this is this is the end of the line, essentially, you know, it's not that this role is going to disappear forever. And it's it's, it hasn't there's, there are still vendor management teams in existence. um, But this role is going to change a lot. You know, instead of having full autonomy over how these brands will be projected on our site in terms of you know what we're going to sell, how we're going to sell it, what types of everything down to, you know, just how they're going to be merchandised on, on a you know, detail page. All of that is going away. So what does that mean for me? And um, I know that for myself, one of the reasons why I took the job was because of that autonomy, was because of the freedom and the Mm. ability to really build these partnerships and say, how are we going to help each other achieve amazing growth together? Uh, When you start taking away bit by bit all the tools that, you know, the team has in order to achieve any of those goals, now you it starts feeling more and more. um, What's the best way to describe it? You're still being asked to hit astronomical goals, but you have very, very little ability to change anything to achieve them, if that makes sense. And totally. that that just felt like, uh, you know, for me, you know, 
that's not something that I, I, I think spending my time on would be worth. So that's when I started mm-hmm. realizing, all right, we need to, we need to find a new way to help brands grow, frankly. And that's right. actually where I started thinking about the future of e-commerce. What does this mean? Because this is not just Amazon. You know, every single e-commerce marketplace is trying to do both things. They're trying to grow and trying to scale how they can show the diversity of all their products online. That's a, not a small task. So mm-hmm. this is not just an Amazon problem we're talking about. Amazon may have carried out in a certain way, but, uh, you know, Zalando, Tmall, Alibaba, Mercado Libre, you're, you're talking about the fact that all these companies are fighting to figure out how do we show this product off in the best way possible to, to convince you, customer, to buy it from us while still scaling how we do all this work on the back end to cost us as little as possible. <laughs> Right. And Zalando, the German e-commerce company that you mentioned, actually hired uh, Ralph Hebrick, who headed up this whole program inside Amazon. So yeah. now he's off and I'm sure his minions are off doing the same thing in oh, other yeah. companies. Oh, yeah. We're seeing it happen. <laughs> it's, it's very much happening. Yeah. Yeah. And Elaine, one of the remarkable things that I find when I've spoken with you about this and some of your colleagues or former colleagues uh, is that it Everybody who's experienced this says, oh, it actually made a lot of sense and there's not a lot of ill will toward Amazon, even though like, you know, people are when people speak about automation and how, you know, work has been automated, you know, they they are fearful of what happens to the worker and you were the worker, but yet you maintain like a pretty sunny attitude about that. Can you explain a little bit more about I, I mean, your your feelings? You know. I'm a, I, I, I think I'm a, I'm a fairly practical person. So, mm-hmm. you know, even back then when I saw what was happening, I didn't get mad about it. I wasn't angry about it myself. It was just more like, all right, this makes sense. I understand. I understand why this is happening. Now, is this going to hurt some people, some businesses? Absolutely. But for myself, I kind of looked at it as an opportunity because you know, these are what e-commerce marketplaces and companies, retailers are doing in order to survive themselves. But that doesn't mean that the brands and manufacturers and sellers are all alone by themselves without any aid. That's where my thoughts went, which is, okay, mm-hmm. this is going to be a growing chasm in this industry. How do we how do we bridge that gap? What do we need to do in order to solve this? Because this problem is maybe small today, but it is going to grow. And sure enough, you know, five, six years later, here we are. And mm-hmm. uh, like I said, even this week, I've had three conversations where, you know, with different CEOs about uh, issues related to stymie, or I would say stemming from this exact thing. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And, and okay, now that as we're talking about it, I just grow, grow kind of curious. So, if I'm a vendor manager inside of Amazon, how does this stuff show up in my, does it just, is it like an automate button in my tool that I use to buy? Uh, what did it look like? Like, you know, how does your, the buying happen? Well, like, yeah, when, when you're turning stuff over to the machines. Um, yeah. Do, um, you but like, know, was it an automate button or was it just like, okay, that task that you were doing, you're not doing anymore? Or? Yeah, there were, there were steps that we no longer did anymore. You know, mm-hmm. before we would actually go, like I said, we were, we would go through line by line and actually talk about products, what they were, what they're going to offer to the customer and decide, mm-hmm. do we want to buy it? Yes or no. Now, uh, and again, not super familiar with how the tools may have changed, but right. uh, my but understanding, my understanding and what we saw happen back then was that, you know, the vendor 
the brand now mm. creates their new product listings, whatever they want to sell on Amazon. They mm. create them on their own. They do all that work by themselves. They submit it. If uh, once it's processed and created by Amazon, which is a process that, you know, the vendor manager doesn't touch anymore. Um, then the algorithm will decide based on the product information submitted, whether or not they want to buy. Unbelievable. Yeah. And one of the things I heard, I wonder if you experienced this, was that the company like set hands off the wheel goals um, where like a certain percent, oh, you're smiling. So, so, well, go ahead. I mean, what, what you're, are bringing those? Back, you're bringing back messages. I'm, I'm like, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, not at some all. of this is fun. I'm sure some of it is, is I, I'm like, you know, Some of yeah. these things I haven't <laughs> thought about in quite a while, but you, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. They set goals, um, you know, which again, like makes the percentage sense. of stuff that should have been automated. Yes. Which yeah. again makes sense. If you're if you're leading a team and you're trying to hit big changes and you mm-hmm. provide benchmarks for where the team should be, but in this case, the the benchmarks are how much less of your job <laughs> we want you to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How much more we, we want you to teach or tell these vendors and brands to do your job instead. <laughs> yeah. I remember speaking to uh, one of your former colleagues who told me basically as soon as they had this meeting, there was one year where apparently leadership uh, handed down these major hands off the wheel goals. And then this person sitting in this meeting was basically like, all right, it's time for us to find new jobs, you know, as a joke, but it turned out to be kind of serious. Yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing that I found was a lot of, you know, and, you know, you can fact check me on this. Um, but like, from my understanding, Amazon didn't like go out and, and, you know, do mass firings of vendor managers. A lot of people ended up moving into different roles inside the company, product manager and program manager. So what happened there? Correct. Correct. I would say, you know, everyone's path, it, it's very much sort of choose your own adventure. You know, yeah. they weren't, they weren't out to, at least from my experience, they were not to fire anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was, I mean, the people that worked in these roles, I'd say for the most part, very talented, very smart, very driven, um, great. And, and, and specifically at Amazon, um, there's this idea that if you're hired into Amazon, you know, you're capable enough to serve in other roles, other teams, mm. other functions, even if you may not have a ton of experience in that particular, uh, with that particular skill set yet. And so th- there was a, a cool, there was a cool opportunity for many that was, you know what, I'm going to go, you know, interview with some other teams internally and see if there's a, a different role that might, you know, appeal to me. So that's what I would say many did. Uh, of small handful stayed behind within the mm-hmm. team itself. Um, you know, folks like me, I um, I ended up getting poached by a startup at the time and, and kind of took that route, uh, all the while still thinking and obsessed with this problem, which is why we're here today and uh, what I, you know, what I've been working in ever since. But um, it, I would say those, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a wide public announcement, but I think everyone, again, kind of realized, okay, mm-hmm. this may be the end of an era. And so take it, you know, keep your eyes open and start thinking about what your next path really looks looks like. Yeah. And, and this is sort of something that's pretty amazing to me about what happened in Amazon. And I think other companies should really take note when they start to do this, because there is there has been this feeling of like, okay, well, automation is going to come in and then people are gone. But in reality, it's not really the case. And what Amazon did was ended up putting them, I mean, project manager and program manager jobs are what I think of as essentially professional inventors inside the company, people who are there to, to shepherd along new products uh, and, uh, and build the next new thing for Amazon. And it's interesting, okay, they were working on this one thing, machine learning comes in, 
now all of a sudden, you know, help the company grow in another way. And that's, I think, one of the, you know, magical parts of the Amazon work culture that gets overlooked. You know, there's a lot of criticism of Amazon, a lot of it, you know, definitely well-deserved, but there's definitely some business brilliance there. And this is a big part of it. And I think like one of my favorite stories that I came across when I was writing Always Day One was uh, Dilip Kumar, who was running pricing and promotions uh, inside Amazon, right? Probably something close to what, what you were doing. He goes to work to spend a, after, you know, in maybe 2015, he goes to spend a year, year and a half shadowing Jeff Bezos as his technical advisor. He comes out, the thing's on its way to being automated. He's not going back there. So he ends up getting together with a bunch of people from the retail organization and building Amazon Go, which is the checkout free retail store. Yep. Uh, that's going to be a major part of Amazon's, you know, brick and mortar in real life shopping. Yeah, the first one is actually forward. one one block from me right oh, now. Oh, so you're right in South Lake Union, <laughs> yeah. in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it it is like people ask, like, oh, how does Amazon reinvent itself so often? And this is precise. I mean, this is the key example in my mind when it comes to the way that the company works. I agree. I think that there's a a lot of uh, a lot of really interesting and um, very applicable principles that, you know, even I've taken into my own business practices. But there's also a lot of warnings, too. I mean, I Mm. I would be the first person to tell you that, guess what? There's still a vendor management team in Mm. existence. The problem and this is, again, my two cents, take it or leave it. But the problem, in my opinion, is that there are so few of them that are now, uh, you know, still expected to manage huge goals, huge portfolios of brands, uh, but because they've been given these hands-off-the-wheel automated tools, um, I think the expectation was, well, you should have no problem you know, managing a hundred times what uh, people used to before because mm-hmm. you won't be doing all of these things that people used to have to. But the problem is, is that automation or any tool that is automating a piece of work is only as good as the complexity of the rules designed within it. And the the fact of the matter is, is Amazon has so many products, the diversity, the range of products uh, really cannot even be fathomed. And so every rule we've seen uh, that goes into part of, you know, whatever tool is being automated, it makes mistakes. It makes a lot of mistakes. I mean, even Mm -hmm. right now, we're finding that thousands and thousands of products are being mistakenly flagged as pesticides um, Mm. because someone implemented a rule uh, to look for anything that could be a pesticide and suppress it, keep it off the site. And now you have pearl accessories, headbands, hand creams that are being, or even t-shirts with Sylvander to help sweat proof, you know, sort of experiences. They're all being flagged as pesticides. And so, you know, I, 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 give this example to illustrate this idea that, you know, there is a lot that can be automated, but when you're dealing with the level of scale that Amazon's currently operating at, even the smallest rule can have devastating effects if not managed incredibly well. Yeah, that's what from my from my conversations with the company, it's the people, the vendor managers really became auditors. So they went from making the orders to like auditing the system and making sure that it's ordering appropriately. And I remember speaking with uh, Ralph Hubrick, who I mentioned before, the head of machine learning, who's since left. And he talked about how, like, you know, they couldn't get the order of white socks right. And they were trying to figure out what was going on. And there was like, okay, the vendor manager went in and audited the system and found that they had 56 different ways of writing white socks. And so the whole, you know, machinery just ended up blowing up because of that. So it does totally change the the job. And 
the scale is is also really interesting. I think he mentioned that people were going from uh, vendor managers were going from you know managing like a thousand products to a hundred thousand, uh, and then it was then followed up and was like, well, that's not the exact number. I was just using that to illustrate the scale, but really is a hundred times uh, what they were doing yeah. for, and there's no way to keep that the precision that you would have had otherwise. I would agree. So, um, what, what does this portend for the rest of the economy? I mean, the one interesting thing I find about the tech giants when it comes to machine learning is that they've had in-house research organizations for much longer than anybody else. And a lot of them have the, uh, you know, the granddaddies of the field, you know, Facebook has Jan LeCun, who basically is, uh, the guy who, uh, helped deep learning, you know, take off in a way people used to laugh at him. They said that technique will never work. Then it worked and Facebook hired him right away. Uh, Google has, uh, I think his name is Jeff Hinton, who's another one of the, you know, uh, originators. And then Ralph, of course, you know, came to Amazon. So these companies all had a head start. Uh, and I wonder, is this something that ends up coming to the rest of the economy? Can people um, who aren't working for the tech giants anticipate this, you know, in their workplace at some point? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um, it's one that I have very frequently because as you can imagine, you know, our company is all about a set. We are here to help all the brands, manufacturers and sellers of the world thrive within these spaces. It can be done, but it is incredibly mm-hmm. it's incredibly difficult for a single brand or manufacturer to do, to do alone exactly because of what you just described, which is, mm-hmm. you know, very few companies have the software, the data, the expertise, as well as the know-how uh, to navigate what is actually a maze for each of their accounts. Imagine a brand that sells on Amazon, Walmart, Zalando, mm-hmm. uh, Tmall, and Rakuten, which is just a, it's just a fraction of the incredible e-commerce marketplace that they could be selling. But let's just say just five. Each of those five is its own maze in that each of these companies were built independently from one another. All of their algorithms on the back end are very unique and and, and specific to that marketplace and that particular pieces of software. And so um, from the consumer standpoint, it feels like it's pretty similar. You can go from Zalando Mm -hmm. to Amazon and you're like, all right, I search for something. I add to cart. I'm done. But that's where the similarities pretty much stop. And so Hmm. for, you know, we talk to and work with, you know, again, multinational publicly traded companies, I would say it's kind of interesting because they tend to be the first to realize we don't have what it takes to do this. So they're usually the first to reach out and work with companies like ours. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say medium sized businesses, uh, depending on the leadership, will reach out immediately or they'll usually try it on their own. And when things start getting difficult, stagnating or failing for whatever reason, that's when they realize we need help. And then last but not least, we're seeing a proliferation of awesome small businesses, um, startups, VC-backed businesses that realize that they know enough to realize they don't know enough to do this internally. Mm -hmm. And so that's usually when they reach out. But it does take, um, frankly, the best defense is the killer offense, right? And I feel like, you know, it's a combination of uh, data analysis and expertise that comes from having an actual team of people that have done this, not just once, not just twice, but hundreds of times over many, many years uh, combined with software. Um, and that's what it takes today. So you've built a company to help other retailers exactly. navigate this stuff. Exactly. Which is important. I mean, I imagine it's a very big opportunity. And now, what, 
when it comes to um, just the idea that automation can make its way into the workforce or into the into workplaces beyond these tech giants, do you anticipate that that's gonna going to happen? Do you are you anticipating using it in your own workflows? Um, where do you think automation as a whole goes? Uh, you know, from where it is today, because right now it seems to be in some small number of companies, but a lot of people are predicting it's going to go much broader. I think the question that we actually ask ourselves is, what isn't going to get automated or wow. what's going to get automated last? That's actually the, the <laughs> conversations we have yeah. internally. Yeah, because, you know, when you start, especially when you're in the position we're in, which is we work with um, incredible companies, but many of them enough to be able to see a lot of the trends that are happening. And when you start seeing that, you realize, OK, there is everyone's different, but also a lot of what's happening is not unique. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's really where the question is, is like, what's what's the last thing that's going to be automated? What's the, and, and in my opinion, it'll likely be the most difficult thing, which is critical thinking, adapting to new pieces of information and data. I would say COVID has very much thrown all of the forecasting that was run by machine learning into the drain. <laughs> and that's been yeah. one of the really fun, uh, difficult, but very interesting challenges that we've been helping brands with, which is how do you figure out what's going to happen when no one knows what's going to happen. <laughs> right. And, um, and that's been, I, I would say, it just kind of goes to show you again that uh, I feel like it's a, a long while yet before we see uh, the level of automation that I think is depicted in movies and, and television mm-hmm. at times. But, but it's coming. It, it's coming and it's happening step by step. How should people think about, I mean, you've obviously adjusted pretty well to having gone through this experience? How do you think people should look out for, you know, the potential that stuff Mm -hmm. that they do might be automated? And what type of skills do you think they should be investing in to make sure that they're able to thrive, you know, in a situation like this? Yeah, I was actually speaking to a graduating class um, at a university recently that uh, that asked me exactly Great. that, which is let's do man. the commencement address. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly right. But like you <laughs> yeah. know, I mean, young people are wondering exactly that. They see all the changes that are happening, and they're wondering, shoot, you know, do I have what it takes to truly? make it today? What do I need to know that perhaps I wasn't taught in school? And and frankly, there are two things. Uh, One is critical thinking, which I briefly mentioned before, but Mm -hmm. that is actually the number one trait that I I know. For example, we hire and we work in the business of (laughs) automating a lot of things for others. Uh, But that is one factor that frankly, most machines still have not yet even come close to touching. Uh, being able to say, actually look at a situation with all of the nuances and complexities at hand and be able to communicate real time what's happening and what should happen. That's that's another level that, again, you know, I think is going to be in demand for quite a while yet. The second of which is also may sound um, counterintuitive, but it's actually the ability to build trust. Hmm. And the reason why I say that is because as long as companies are still being run by people, the number one detracting factor that I see coming between two companies or, or you know, different partnerships is really whether or not the companies understand one another and are able to trust one another. And so I'd say if you have the ability to connect and truly build trust in a way that goes deeper than just superficial connection, you can find amazing opportunity to to survive beyond the age of automation. Yeah, I love how you said as long as companies are still being run by people, who knows, maybe, you know, one day 
<laughs> that will be different. That will be that'll be interesting. Maybe you and I will just give it over to the robots. And, I'll, I'll I'll sit on the side and take notes for the machine. Yeah, right. I think there's some some book that talks about like uh, you know communist automation communism paradise or whatever it is where like just let the machines do the work and we get to hang back and and drink martinis which okay oh, i'll be into that oh man uh long term are you are are you um bullish on the the future of work and on you know people's ability to continue to find you know meaningful employment despite the machines or are you betting on the machines basically kicking our butts that is a great question. Um, I certainly hope they don't kick our butts, but I do think <laughs> that, you know, I think the future of work is going to require that everyone, every job, every function that we all have is going to incorporate a certain level of technology that we never have had before. Um, and I think that, you know, even the way that we ha are currently have adapted to working today is just one step in that direction. Mm -hmm. um, but even simply, What's what's let's say what we would call uh, traditionally non-technological jobs like you know uh, being a UPS delivery driver. Even that today incorporates a level of using technology. You know, scanners taking digital photos and automated thumbprints. I mean, they are using technology in a way that they didn't before. And I think that it's we're only going to see that increase to the point where mm -hmm. you know again the things that humans are left doing are the things that only humans can do. Right. Is Amazon going to do this drone delivery thing or was that bull? I don't know. I will let you know <laughs> if I find out, but I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> they haven't made a lot of progress since Jeff Bezos made that flashy announcement. He's going to leave the company before it happens. So, oh, yeah. Man. All right. Great. How can people get in touch with you or learn more about what you're doing at Quantified? Yeah, um, they're Feel free to, you know, I would say look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. My name is Elaine Kwan. I'm the managing partner at Quantified. And uh, you can reach us on our website as well, quantified.com. That's with K-W-O-N-T-I-F-I-E-D. Awesome. Elaine, so great to catch up. It's been too long, and I'm really glad we had an opportunity to chat again. I agree. This is a lot of fun. Thanks, Alex. Super fun. Thank you. All right, everybody, Elaine Quant joining us on the Big Technology Podcast. It was really great to have her on, and it's great to have you listening. Uh, major thanks to Nate Guatney, our editor, who uh, does a great job with making sure this thing sounds good every week. Red Circle, thank you for hosting and selling ads. Thank you, Main Street, our sponsor. And thanks to you all for listening. If this is your first time, we do this every single Wednesday. We have tech insiders, outside agitators. Uh, and uh, hopefully you'll learn something new each time you tune in. So please subscribe if this is your first time here. If you're a longtime listener, ratings go a long way to help us uh, continue to grow, help those train those machines to pick us up and distribute us places that we wouldn't have been otherwise. So it takes about 10 seconds if you're willing to give us a rating on the Apple uh, podcast uh, uh, app. That would be terrific. I won't even ask you for five stars. Any rating would help, although... You know, those five would be appreciated. The <laughs> machines love them. That is going to do it for us this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. As I said, thanks again for listening to the end. Appreciate it very much. And we will see you next Wednesday here on the Big Technology Podcast. Bye.